This is a podcast by Wellhouse Church, where we talk about what it's like to be a Christian Monday through Saturday, to live as a person of faith and a culture against faith. So let's talk about feminism. And the white dudes just started freaking out in their chair. Not even sure the white dude clicked on this episode. Probably not. Uh, or the white dude that would twitch in his chair, I'm not sure, clicked on this episode. Probably not. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a, it's an issue. It, it, and it, it is. And here's the deal. I'm sure most of our listeners will know. I consider myself to be a feminist. Same. It's, it's, and I understand, I get it that it's a little weird that a dude would consider themselves a feminist. And at times I even feel a little weird about it. If I'm honest, because I will never know the struggle sure. that women actually go through. As much as I've learned myself and researched and studied and questioned women and, and, and tried to become well-versed in their pain, I will never know that experience of pain. No, but to support the idea of feminism to support women in their journey of life. Mm -hmm. You don't have to know their pain. You you need to be able to empathize empathize, with it, but you don't have to know what it felt like to go through it. Right. Fair. Um, The only reason I preface, the only reason I say that is to preface the conversation by saying, Hey, I know I don't know your pain in the right. same way that I won't know the pain of childbirth. Well, I was going to say of being an African-American male in America. Oh, yeah, that too. Um, that too. I won't know any of those pains, but until the cisgendered Christian middle-class white man says stands up and says, this is garbage. Yeah. All I'm trying to do is give a voice. Yeah. I'm no. trying to give back the voice that was taken from a vulnerable people who've been oppressed for centuries. Yeah. And I'm here for it. Um, and, and what's funny is me and my boss were talking about this the other day. Is that, you know, your First Amendment right is great. Support you to use it. Tell your story, you know, say what you got to say. But honestly, where true change happens is at the policy level. Because Um, these things happen systematically. And before you start, let me finish. Go ahead. These true things, like true actual change really only happens at a policy level because these things are systematic. Um, Oppression, fundamentally, as it's taught, as it's taught, Cullen, is systematic. Fair. The Bible. Therefore, it has to change at a policy level. I'm not negating the fact that there's a need for change at a policy level. I'm saying that these things don't start at policy level. And I, I never, think Dave Chappelle. said it started at a policy level. I said it changes at a policy level. Well, I actually disagree. I actually don't think it changes at a policy level. I think it changes at an individual level. Dave Chappelle has a great bit on this, and we we laugh about it, 
But he says, Roe v. Wade's in the 1950s. Somebody called me the N-word in traffic on Wednesday. Yeah. These things don't change just because we change the law. These things don't change just because we change the policy. Well, in These your- things change because we change our culture. We begin to think differently. I agree, but it's a different conversation. Never mind. We're going down a rabbit hole here. Well, that like, yeah, I, I don't know if it's beneficial to go into on this episode. I just, dis- I still disagree with you and we can talk about it. Well, that's fine. We else, disagree on this podcast or on all these podcasts you frequently. Know, frequently. It's not a big deal. No, it's not. But that's not the point. My whole thing was to say my whole reason for bringing it up was that this is to bring awareness. Yes. Right. Yes. To establish our culture here at Wellhouse mm-hmm. as feminist, open mm-hmm. feminist. Mm-hmm. And if you can't jive with that, you can't jive with us. <laughs> right. Like very well said, very well said. That's just, that's what it is. And yeah, um, I, yeah, I, there are very few things in the world that I have less patience for than toxic man and toxic men. Well, toxic masculinity, oppression of people groups. Like yeah. I, I have very little patience for that. Yeah. And if there, if, if I could point to one area where Jesus is probably asking me to like, Maybe give a little bit more grace. Yeah, it would be in this one because I just want to literally tell people they are freaking stupid. Oh, yeah, dude. Um, Oh, yeah, dude. I just it. it, I can't stand it because look, I get it. Here's the deal. I don't. Unless this whole idea of power just desensitizes you at some kind of staunch level. I don't know how you look at your wife. I don't know yeah. how you look at your daughter. I don't know well, how you look at your mother and go, I don't want you to succeed at anything you ever attempt to do. Well, fundamentally, it goes back to the whole like complementarian versus egalitarian argument that we had on yes. Pints and Perspectives about you know the difference between the Genesis 1 reading and the Genesis 2 reading. Right? Like, and if you haven't heard that, we're probably going to reference that a lot, if I'm being honest. Um, uh, or at least... You might, you might, yeah. yeah. You so you might want to go get refreshed on that if you haven't watched it, yeah. Um, and 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 listen to that, but it, it really does come down to this this conversation of how you see women, and in the context of what we're doing here, mm-hmm. it is through a religious context, mm-hmm. and. I mean, even outside of that, I think that oppression of women comes from a religious context. No matter what culture you come from, yeah, what religion you come from, it's all based on your religion. Ooh, is it? I'm pretty convinced. Religion, so this is where feminist theory actually does come in. We were talking about this off camera. Feminist theory actually does say that... Um, Religion historically as a whole, not just Judeo-Christianity, but religion as a whole oppresses women. What's the major religion of the Philippines? Uh, I think it's Buddhism. 
Well, that would not be the case for the Philippines. It may be the majority. I'm right. not negating that. That's just the one that I pops just said into historically, my head. Historically, yeah, like. That's just the one that uh, pops into my head because, like, the staple of the Philippine economy is actually women expats of America sending their money back to their children and husbands. Right. They're still there in the Philippines. Um, Maybe that's true. I don't know. I'm just saying that, like, feminist theory says historically and largely religion oppresses women. Hmm. Um, I don't, I don't, I'm not negating that at all. Most religions do oppress women. And so your perspective on women comes from your religious views. But do you know why? Do you know why most religions oppress women? Enlighten me. Because most religions are painted with angry gods. Oh, yeah. And humans are their slaves. Yeah. I mean, that's the narrative of Greek mythology. Absolutely. That's that's most religions, especially most ancient Near Eastern religions. And so why wouldn't the natural makeup be that if God, the thing more powerful than you, oppresses you, why wouldn't you naturally mirror and oppress? Start this kind of yeah. cyclical oppression. I um, think all of it really originates with how you view God. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't disagree at all. And, and I think that's actually your point. Yeah, absolutely. That, but it's it's just to say that I think most people, especially in America, are not well versed in other religions. Right. And so they think that all religions have this kind of loving God that cares for them and has grace for nah. them, and that's just not the case. Nah, Sam. <laughs> so we're ten minutes into the podcast, and we haven't actually done much talking about feminism. Not really. So let's set up feminism. And I'll set up feminist theology as kind of the introduction, the meta-narrative lens that we're going to view this series through, if you will. Right. So feminism has happened in, at least Western feminism, has happened in what we call three waves of feminism. Wave one really doesn't have like a super identifiable start place. It's just when people realize... That, hey, women don't have the same rights as men. Well, it kind of started around, so, like, the first wave of feminism actually really started around, like, um, the women's suffrages movement. Correct. Um, so, like, the right to vote. Correct. Um, that's that's what it is. It's the right to vote. Well, it's the right to vote because the suffrage movement was actually more than that. Well, it is, but that's the big one right. is this is our president, too. Right. We should we have should. a voice. Yeah. That that's really the thing. Oh, this country's founded on no taxation without representation, but that's you're right. taxing me. It's like the whole thing, the the origin of the women's suffrages movement, and the kind of like maybe well, the heartbeat of it is about voting rights. That that is what's considered as first wave feminism. It does feminism does really have roots all the way back to the 1800s, um, because it, conversation really started happening there, but because women didn't have a voice and well, there wasn't a, yeah. like a way to disperse media. Yeah, at, feminist, at large yeah the amounts. way that I would say it is feminist ideas can date that far back, but feminism as a movement is not really until women's suffrage. Yeah, it's really not until 1920. Yeah. Um, and then from there... There's this kind of big thing if you either lived through it or went to school and paid attention. There's this kind of massive thing called World War II. Yeah. Um, and here's the deal. When all the men leave to go fight World War II, 
Who's left to run the factories? Women. The women. They come back. And in the words of the great Dave Chappelle, saying things a woman's never said to a man before <laughs> in their life. Be yeah. quiet. Shut the heck up. Like, yeah. don't talk to me that way. Because they realized that they can do the things that men do. That's right. And kudos to them. Yeah. For realizing it and putting their foot down. That's really second wave feminism about economics and workforce. So, yes. Second wave feminism wasn't actually nailed down until 1960. Well, yeah, but it originates once the end of World War II happens, which is in the late 1950s. Right, but what I'm trying to say is second wave feminism isn't actually like this is what's happening until 1960. It has its roots in 1940, but then the civil rights movement and the beginning of the civil rights movement um, really kind of put a push on second wave feminism. Third wave feminism happens around the the 90s in that era, right? Mm -hmm. With the burning of the bras. And And what are they fighting for there? Um. They're fighting for different kind of things there, right? Like, well, no, no, the lighting of the bras. What's the? What are they fighting for in that moment? I mean, again, different things like the right to breastfeed in public, the right to not actually have to wear bras if they don't want to, right? The freedom of expression and no, the freedom of being a woman. They're fighting for the freedom of their body. Right. They're fighting for the freedom that, because here's the deal. Men can go around, and when they go to the beach, they can take their shirt off. Men can go around. They can be working in the yard and take their shirt off. Men can be around. They can go pee around the corner if they're not in a public place. Lots of men pee in alleyways in New York City. Like Men feel this freedom to do whatever they want with their body. And women, historically, have been oppressed and told what they can and cannot do with their body. And so these waves build on each other. And I, I only point that out to say, I don't think that third wave feminism is the last wave of feminism we're going to see. No, I think we're in the beginning stages of one now. Um, actually, if I'm being honest. Hmm. Um, and honestly, I, I don't disagree with what you were saying about third wave feminism. I actually think that third wave feminism, the 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 point of it was to... Um, contradict gender roles and to fight gender roles. That's kind of the larger kind of understanding of it. Yes, um, they were fighting for their bodies because that's also when we start seeing like conversations about abortion happening and, and all those sorts of things, right? But in the beginning stages of Roe v. Wade and, and all those things. But I actually think largely it was combating gender roles. I actually disagree. I think I think that's second wave. Mm. The historical gender role is that woman doesn't work. Correct. And second wave feminism is about economy, the workforce, the ability for a woman to go earn an income if she so chooses. Correct. Now, that's still an element in third wave. But, yeah, I think that conversation largely begins in second wave. Now, we're two white dudes having this conversation. Very fair. Very fair. But so just like, studying it. And the only reason I'm being particular is because the way that feminism sets up 
is actually really important to feminist theology. Sure. The the setup and the way that it progresses, you don't get feminist theology arguably you know, if things don't fall the way they do, you might, you, to this day, you might not have feminist theology. No, that's um, Because feminist, feminist theology arises out of a subcategory of theological methodology called liberation theology. Liberation theology is made famous in the African-American culture by a guy named James Cone. It's made famous in the Latino culture, which, oddly enough, is actually the first ones to come up with liberation theology, Gustavo Gutierrez, and then women come alongside and take charge and do it. And here's what feminist theology is. And I'm a huge proponent of all liberation theology. More specifically, I'm a huge proponent of feminist theology. Feminist theology came about as a form of liberation theology. And liberation theology is the, how do I say, the uber-contextualization of theology to an oppressed people group. Sure, yeah. Black liberation theology has been what's made liberation theology so popular, but liberation theology is done across many cultures, and I've been doing quite a bit of reading on Asian American liberation theology. Mm-hmm. Pretty recent thing. But liberation theology is a it it persists through a lot of different veins. And what women said is they started reading the Bible. Right. And I want to point that out. Liberation theology, like all theol or a lot of theologies, begins with a reading of the text. Yeah. And so women begin to read the story. And they notice, oh wait, yeah, in the New Testament, we have these couple of verses that oppress us. But wait, we've got these characters. We've got these people. We've got these stories of women throughout the biblical narrative doing great, wonderful, and amazing things for and on behalf of God. Yeah. When then they take it a step further, they say, okay, well, in order for me to truly understand God, I have to be confident of the fact that God truly understands me. Right? Wouldn't you say that to be true? Sure. So why, this is a feminist theology question, why in the world is it that God is never depicted as a woman? It's a good question. It is until you figure out it's false. God is depicted as a woman. When Jesus tells the parable of the lost coin, that's right. The woman lost the coin right the woman is god and you listener are the coin and the whole narrative of the story is that god will not stop searching for you until she has found her lost coin yeah so this became a huge springboard 
for the validity of feminist theology. Because now we have a picture of God as a woman and a nurturing woman. We've got this kind of characteristic in the Holy Spirit, but now we've got an actual, tangible, I can point to it in the text, feminine expression of God. Yeah. And so what do women do? What they should have done a long time ago and stood up to the men and said, shut your mouth, I have rights, and I'm going to do what's best for me and the person that God has called me to be. Yeah. And that made great waves, great waves in traditional fundamentalist evangelical circles. <laughs> because now you've got these women that have valid points. Right. Like extremely valid points. Right. But yet their valid points upset the power structure of which I've built and become accustomed to. And so what do you do? You continue to take away their voice. Mm. You hone in. You do more difficult readings of Genesis 3, that Eve sinned. You do more difficult readings of Genesis 2, that Eve is somehow subservient. She's inferior because she's Adam's helper. You do terrible readings of the Timothy epistles. You read things in such a way through a lens where your desire is to keep your power. So why is Wellhouse Church so upset with this? Because if I'm honest kind of upset with power in general. Um, Don't really love hierarchies in that way. Um, And it may look to you like Wellhouse is is an institution that has a hierarchy. We really don't. Um, I have very little control over what happens at Wellhouse. Yeah. I mean, it feels... content power over content but like, I, yeah that's the deal i have supreme power over content and i have supreme authority over staffing. my staff yeah. but when it comes to the board i'm a member of the board i'm actually the chairperson of the board i get to pick all the board members but they vote them in mm-hmm. and i get to bring motions before the board but i actually don't ever get a vote right I'm not really here for power structures and hierarchies. So ladies, I'm with you. Yeah. Fight your fight. I'm here how you need me. Like this, this is a huge issue. Like the oppression of people is a huge issue for me and especially the oppression of women. I mean, I have women in my life who I love dearly. My daughter. I I could not look at my daughter yeah. and say, hey, baby girl, you can't do that because you're a woman. Yeah, I think about that all the time, actually. 
is I think about the future for Ezra. Mm. And because it that's the only direct Ezra and Tegan write both. Um, they are the only ones that I directly think about yep. their future as a woman and the yep. struggles that they're going to face. You know, um, I think about Ezra and Tegan all the time in this, that like, I don't want them to ever feel like they can't do something yeah. that they can't, that just because they are women, that they won't be able, that they don't deserve the same pay as a man that they don't yeah. deserve the same say as a man in, you know, church leadership. Um, yeah. That breaks my heart to think that that is a possibility. Well, um, if I know our sister, it won't be a possibility for Tegan. Oh, gosh. No. And it won't be a possibility in our house either for Ezra. Even to this day, Ezra is not even, she'll turn five at the end of this month. Um I do not allow Ezra to say the words, I can't. Yeah. Well, you do the same thing for Eli, too. I do it for both of them. But the reason is because bull spit on that. Mm -hmm. You can do anything you want to do. Just the question of what help do you need to get there. That's right. Um, Equity. Yeah. Well, and that's the deal. And so... We're going to spend a few weeks talking about feminism. It's a, it's a huge deal for me and about what it means to be a person of faith fighting for the voice of the people whom God loves and His Holy Spirit is moving and working within to give a perspective upon life and God that we could all truly benefit from.